And um, listen, it's such a special Sunday. I know it's Father's Day. And um, listen, yesterday I, I was reminded that I'm winning as a dad, y'all. Okay? I just, let me just be honest. I'm, I'm not, not going to brag, but this year I was included in our youngest daughter's family picture, everybody. And, um, you know, that's a big step for her to include dad, okay? Um, I'm usually off in the distance by our dog, but look at that. I'm, I'm, yes, I'm living in mama's shadow, but listen, I'm right next to her. And uh, I think maybe even more appropriate is my uh, other daughter is in the picture as well. So uh, it's good. It's good. And then, I, then I've got other great words of encouragement. My, my, uh, our eldest, Lily, wrote, you are the best dad ever. Uh, look, she may be biased. She may not be. I don't know. You are the number one best dad ever. You make everything holy. Oh, wait, fun. That's what she said. You make everything fun. That, that's what it was. Hope you have the best Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to the best dad I know. Oh, come on. Don't be jealous. Don't be jealous. So that, that was my encouragement. How's y'all's day going? <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, and, and they don't know, but, but dad's going to frame that. Amen. That, that, that's, I'm going to have that in my office now uh, moving forward. But uh, listen, we do want to say we honor you fathers. It's, it's appropriate. Uh, you know, again, just so grateful for choices and um, so excited. We, we've been planning for the last couple months to invite them. What a special time. So for the next month, know that that table will be available. You can participate. And, um, you know, it's a fun way. Let me say this. It's a great way to engage with your children. It's vitally, vitally important, uh, especially depending on the age of your child, to let them know the world is not all about them. I, I know, you know, after they faint, you know, wake them back up. But... <laughs> You know, it's a great way to partner with them. Some, some loose change or some loose checks, you know, or some loose $100 bills. You know, you can put that uh, in, in there. And, and it's good to explain, not, of course, in, in necessarily heavy detail depending on their age, but let them know it's going to make a difference for some very special people uh, in our community. So, listen, I've only got a few minutes. Don't, don't no amening that, okay? I've only got a few minutes. But we have been in a series at Hillside called We Church, Not Me Church. I love the vision of this series is that we're better together, which is what we talked about week one during fellowship. Know this about the enemy, okay? He loves discord, all right? He loves disunity. He thrives in the arena of gossip. Two weeks ago, I talked about that, all right? And we've got to just continue to be on guard in your personal life. But here's what's crazy about this. It's not just for church. It's for your workplace. It's for your softball team or your kids' softball team that you just volunteered to coach in the fall. You know, there's, there's, there's ways we can create unity. Here's the beautiful thing, you know, as Christ followers, we've been called to bear His image walk in peace. I talked about that a couple weeks ago. We church, not me church. One of our points of mission as a church is fellowship. I know it's an old school word, and when you think fellowship, you think potluck. Have all those thoughts, okay? That's fine. But our second point of mission, our second 
point of mission is discipleship. <laughs> Discipleship's critical as well. We're not just about gathering for gathering's sake. I shared last week, I hope it didn't scare you, but we have an agenda, and that is that all would believe that Jesus Christ is the King and Savior of this world, and that they would submit and surrender their lives to Him. Talked about that last week, how we want to be a church that not leaves you where you are, but slowly, faithfully, steadfastly leads you as we all partner with the Holy Spirit to grow, to mature in Christ so that we can bear greater fruit, right, in the kingdom and in our community. Well, today, the third point of mission is worship. So we have five. We can bring all five up. So grateful for the team in the back. Thank you as always. And let's just bring up the five. I, th I think real quick, fellowship, discipleship, worship is for a few moments here. Next week, ministry. And then the, the fifth of the five is evangelism. Listen, not only is it a We Church series, but it's also for one's personal life. Amen? You begin to have all of these activating and you begin flexing all of these muscles you're going to win some, you know, awards, so to speak. I mean, you're going to look good if you get your fellowship, living in harmony, living in peace with others. It's incredible. You begin to practice an environment, heart posture of peace, reaps major fruit throughout your life. I know. I've tried both. I prefer peace, somebody, all right? And you begin to, pro you begin to posture your heart saying, Lord, here I am transform me, disciple me, lead me. Part of that is being part of a local life-giving church. Well, today, I want to talk about worship. I want to talk about worship. I'm not going to cast as much vision. I want, to, I want to talk about the sustaining power of worship. Can I cast vision just for you, maybe? The sustaining power of worship. You know, um, many people around this time love lake life or pool life. And uh, that includes me, by the way. All right. Haven't found a pool I do not like. But um, there's a phrase that you call, not that we use it in our daily lives, but it's, it's the wake of an appropriately timed or inappropriately timed cannonball. You ever experienced that wake? You ever experienced that wake? Um, yeah, yeah. Be cautious if you see me in a bathing suit, right? I don't know what he's going to do. There's nothing like a good old-fashioned cannonball, all right? Um, and what that cannonball will produce, uh, now maybe not as much for you as it does when I do it, is a, is a wake. Nothing like looking up and seeing your daughters floating off into, you know, infinity. <laughs> but the same, the same's true for a lake, right? You ever had to try to steer a boat on the lake or shoot, for that matter, just float on the lake and nothing like some people in some jet skis and you're sitting there like I'm bracing for impact, all right? And you're, you're like, okay, all right. Uh, it's called the wake. Let me, let me share something spiritually for you. Our worship carries a wake that influences all of our lives. And it's a good wake for all of our life. The presence of God, the secret place of God, the closing the door, meeting with the Lord, and worshiping Him produces remarkable fruit, a remarkable spiritual cannonball 
that begins to just <laughs> uh, uh, permeate throughout your life. Same is true for a worshiping church. Same is true, always, always want to lead us, always want to focus us, always from our small groups to our experiences, our events, to our Sunday morning experience. You, we want to bring attention to, to Jesus. We want to bring attention to King Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. And I want to share a couple passages, a couple stories with you. The first is a passage out of the book of Hebrews, which was a book that was written during heavy, heavy persecution. Not uh, persecution in the 21st century, okay? Not like a social media persecution, okay? Not like a, 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 a e email all your coworkers sort of persecution, okay? Nothing like that, but real, genuine, life-on-the-line persecution. Death. And the author of Hebrews Chapter 12 gives me, I believe, gives all of us some significant perspective on the subject of worship. Hebrews 12, 1 through 2. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Well, how are we going to do that? Here's the worship quotient. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Worship as a posture is to fix our eyes on Jesus. It's not hyperbole. It's not limited to positive thinking, though I believe positive thinking is very much a part of fixing our eyes on Jesus. Again, as we worship, it has a wake into every arena of our life. But there is a sustaining quality, a sustaining wake when you and I fix our eyes on the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I can't even totally quantify it. It's like a supernatural thing. Go figure. I can't tell you all the blessings. I can't tell you how he's going to show up. I can't begin to give you a formula of, well, this is what it looks like. But I can guarantee you, if you begin to practice giving your attention to Jesus, you will begin to experience the burdens, the weights, the anxieties of life beginning to shift into the shadows instead of being the focus of our lives. And this is told to you by a pastor who has occasionally been accused of a little A-D-D. -D. All right? I have a tendency in conversation, especially as I'm greeting and talking with some of you outside, will be in the heart of conversation. And all of a sudden, somebody else just got dragged into the conversation. And somebody else, because I'm just attention. I'm all over. Let's bring him in. Let's have some fun and let's talk. You know, let's welcome to Hillside. Here's somebody. Connect with them. And what I, I've also done is I, I, I sometimes in life will be in conversation. And Kelly will tell me occasionally, I'll see squirrel. <laughs> Many of us live life like that. 
if we think about it spiritually, we're just going from squirrel to squirrel to squirrel to squirrel. There's so much peace when we fix our eyes on Jesus. A couple quick stories. One from the life of King David and one from the life of Paul and Silas. For the team in the back, I'm going to go with King David first, and then I'll go with Paul and Silas. Um, I read a book one time called What to Do on the Worst Day of Your Life. It's a pretty good book. <laughs> it's written by a pastor named Brian Zond, and, and he wrote it, goodness, like 20 years ago or so. And uh, it's all about this story. Um, but it's a story of King David, not king at the time, but David and Ziklag. Z-I-K-L-A-G. It's out of 1 Samuel chapter 30. Up to that time, up to that time probably David's worst life. He um, had gathered, he has his mighty men. If you're familiar with David's life, part of his journey, is as, he has his mighty men at the time. He also is leading a, a, a large military group of men at the time. And they were out fighting, okay? They were out in battle, behind the scenes, their camp was being plundered. So all the, all the treasure, if you will, all their money, so to speak, all their, um, all their portfolio up to that point, as well as their wives and children, were taken from them. And there's this little, I'd say picture, <clears throat> but little key to living life with the Lord. Verse Samuel 30, and it's verse 6. It shows... David's response. Here he's experiencing the pain. Here he's experiencing the difficulty. And yet David does not get his attention shifted. He meets God in that space. And we get a little key into the power of worship and the sustaining power of worship. David was now in great danger because all his men were very bitter about losing their sons and daughters. That's an appropriate <laughs> emotion to have. And now his closest men are wavering, turning on him a little bit. And they began to talk of stoning him. I've had some things in my life over the years, but nobody, to my knowledge, thought of stoning me. <laughs> David's worst day. But David found strength in the Lord, his God. That's the sustaining power of worship. Sustaining power of worship. Rose began her small or short talk, powerful, but short talk about what they do day in and day out. You're sometimes on the front lines of ministry or you're on the front lines of life. You get to be on the front lines to see a lot of good. But you also get to be on the front lines to see a lot of ugly sometimes. Guess what? Don't fall for it. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Listen, I, uh, this object lesson is going to blow your mind, okay? So brace yourselves. My finger is the situation, okay? It's getting closer and closer. 
It's getting easier and easier. If I fix my eyes on this, okay, just want to let you know, right now I'm cross-eyed. Please don't zoom in screen, okay? I can't see your face. I can't see what you're wearing. I can't see the outlines, the contours. I can't see the emotion you're carrying because I'm so fixated on this. That's the trap. The church in Hebrews, persecution was right at their doorstep. Persecution was right here. Guess what? The attention was being drawn. But you know what? The writer of Hebrews said, don't lose perspective. Don't lose perspective since we're surrounded. Feel hope rising since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. Since God is for you and he's making your path smooth, don't fixate. Fix your eyes on Jesus who endured, who endured, who endured the what? The cross. Scorning its shame. For what? The joy that was set before him. Sounds like a good sermon here. Go figure. Worship sustains joy. Worship sustains peace. Ultimately, worship sustains our witness for the Lord. Worship has saved me from being stupid. I knew I'd get one amen. Thank you for that. (laughs) Y'all know you should be a little louder on that, but I'm telling you. Trap of the enemy is to get you discorded from the Lord and what God is doing in your life. Worship is so pivotal to our daily lives. It's op- I, I want to say this. It's an opportunity that is before us at any given time. Talk for a couple more moments here. Think about, maybe I didn't unpack this enough for you. Maybe it hasn't resonated fully with you yet. But know this, distractions include, I cover the gamut. Can we bring up that list? Distractions include life circumstances, difficult seasons, uneasy situations, relational turmoil, physical sickness, financial pressure, good seasons. Great opportunities, major moments, minor moments. All y'all, it covers it all, okay? And so the early church, the greatest times of persecution under the Roman Empire, had the privilege on a trip to Italy to go into the catacombs under Rome, over a hundred miles worth of catacombs. The early church was under severe persecution at the turn of the first century. Perhaps you've heard the history of Emperor Nero and what he would do and how he would use Christians. And so the church would eat, meet, they would eat, but they would meet in secret. And you can go to the catacombs. It's underground. It's, it's creepy a little bit, but kind of cool. You know, it's a little creepy, a little cool, okay? And, and you'll see all these tombs. They had to meet underground in these tombs because the persecution was so great and so strong. But you'll see symbols 
carved into what was dirt, but now stone. You're familiar with the ichthys fish? That was the first Christian symbol. And so they would know, they would see, oh my goodness, Christ has called us to be fishers of men. That's worship. Under severe persecution, you don't lose sight of the mission and the vision. Well, why? Because you're fixing your eyes on Jesus. You're not falling for the trap, the distractions. Come on, they will come. If you're not in a season of distraction, I've got some good news. It's coming. If you're not in a season of trouble, good, great. Me neither. But guess what? It's coming. And guess what you can do? You can either dive in or you can lift your eyes up. The last verse that I want to share is Acts 16, 22 through 25. Go figure, another persecution is at play. Paul and Silas have been thrown in prison, you know, for standard protocol, starting a church in Philippi. And they um, are now under persecution. They've been thrown in jail unjustly. Paul's a Roman citizen, but he doesn't use that title yet. He uses it in a few hours from this story. But they throw him in. They've been beaten. Now they're chained to the walls of a prison. And in Acts chapter 16, we hear and read this. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. I pray that would be our posture. And I pray as a church, it wouldn't be about what we're doing out in the community. It wouldn't be about what kind of brand we can create. It wouldn't be about personalities. It would be about King Jesus. That he is good. That he is faithful. That you are forgiven that he is for you, moving mountains, shaking prison chains, setting our lives free. And that the story of our lives would be the posture of our heart. That we'd be a worshiping church. Listen, I know life can hurt. I know circumstances can be difficult. You may even be in a season of deep grieving right now. I'm not coming at it casually. I'm just inviting you lovingly. Live with attention. Hold on. I know it may be hard. But choose worship. Amen? Amen. Choose to celebrate the goodness of God. Choose to remind yourself of the forgiveness. Think about where you could have been if not for the grace of God. Amen?